Good morning, Journey. You ever notice elderly couples that have been married for a long time, and you could just tell they still love to spend time together? You could just see, see uh, the, the love and compassion as they still connect with each other. They're still holding hands. They're still giving a kiss now and then. That kind of love is just tangible. It, it oozes from their life. You know, I, I look at my, old, my own parents now, and, and as my dad ages, uh, my mom needs to give him a little extra care and attention. So she has really stepped up just to guide and encourage and kind of keep a watchful eye over him. And really, she deserves the Marriage Medal of Honor if there ever was one. Because my dad, he could be a little ornery and stubborn at times. But it's a beautiful picture of a couple that grows old together and still is madly in love with each other. Now, I see that not just at the tail end of life, but I also see it at the beginning of life as well. Now, I don't know if you notice or not, but there seems to be an outbreak of new babies around here at Journey Christian. I don't know if there's a new virus going around or what, but, but Dory is definitely not drinking the water here at the church. You know, we, uh, we do a meal train that helps provide uh, meals for these uh, new parents to help alleviate some of the load. And, and our meal train is running at full steam providing uh, these meals. So, so I see young parents stepping up and caring for, for the infants in, in their home. And, and I, I see it at that level. But I also see couples who, who offer foster care and welcome children into their home like their very own. And so we can see this idea of nurturing and care and love at the beginning of life, at the end of life, and everything in between. I see families displaying that love in action. Well, it's with uh, this kind of family language that the Apostle Paul writes a letter to a church in, the, in a city called Thessalonica. This is in the region of, of modern-day Greece. And, and Paul, along with his buddies Timothy and Silas, had traveled to Thessalonica to preach the gospel there. And they spent about three weeks or so there uh, preaching the gospel in the synagogues, but then riots broke out, and they had to literally leave in the middle of the night. Now, a few months later, Paul sends Timothy back to the city because he's concerned about him. He wants to find out how this church that they started is doing. So Timothy goes, he travels, he gets the report and comes back to Paul. And after Paul hearing the report, he pens a couple letters that we now know as 1st and 2nd Thessalonians in our Bibles. This morning, we're smack dab in the middle of our sermon series entitled, Called, disciples who make disciples. And we've been looking at six practices or guardrails that keep our church running down the lane of making disciples as a church. Guardrails that keep us from getting distracted or pulled aside from that, from that main priority that, that we're running after. In week one, we looked at our first guardrail from John 15, and that was just to abide or remain in Christ meaning that we first have to be a disciple ourselves before we ever talk about making disciples. And last week, Justin did a great job uh, with the story of Zacchaeus and reminding us as a church that, that we need to help others find Jesus and walk with Jesus. 
Well, today our, our third guard rule that we're going to look at from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is we want to look at how we can connect with those people and care for those that are in our church family that we call Journey. So chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, and as I read it, listen to the care and compassion that Paul uses as he sends this letter to this early church. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So as Paul writes this letter, he uses the language of family. And he models for us what life looks like within the church family, with those that are already here within us. And as he does so, he illustrates this third disciple-making guardrail, and that's to connect with those in the church family. Now, in order not to lose sight of that, we must be clear about a few things. We must be clear about our priorities. In other words, what's important for us as a church Let's be clear about our commitment to those who are here. And then be clear about what we're striving for, our, our ultimate goal. Because without that clarity, we can be pulled aside and um, spend time on and energy on things that are, that are not as important. So first, our priorities. You know, he says, you know, we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. So priority number one is sharing the gospel. We must help people connect with the gospel. I mean, our, the gospel ultimately is, is our number one value here at the church. And it, it is that because we believe that the gospel still changes people's lives. Even today, even now. So we want to help people connect to Jesus at that level of the gospel, which means connecting to Jesus as their Savior. Now, I, I realize that not everybody that comes to Journey Christian Church on Sunday morning um, is at that place in their lives. I realize that, that some of you are here today because you're curious. Some of you are here because you've been invited. Some of you are here just because that's what your family does on Sunday. Or maybe you came for a cup of coffee or now that we have hot chocolate, I notice people getting a little excited, so that might bring you back. Sometimes people are here because they just got dragged out of bed and they said, you're, you're coming here. You know, so even within the walls of this church, we share the gospel. 
Because we never want to make the assumption that everybody here within this family can say that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. So what, what is the gospel that we talk about and share? It's that God saves sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to this earth to live among us, to show us the Father, and to restore a relationship with him that was broken by our sin. And that restoration took place when Jesus paid the penalty for that sin through his sacrificial death on the cross. But death could not hold him down because after three days, he was resurrected back to life. He rose from the grave and returned to a place of power and authority in heaven. And through his grace, through that grace that he gives us, he offers us salvation as a free gift as we put our faith in him. And we demonstrate that. We demonstrate our faith through our surrender, our baptism, our daily living of our lives for him and for his glory. So that is what we share at the level of the gospel. And that is our number one priority. We don't compromise that in any way, shape, or form. But the second priority that we share is our very lives as well. And we can do that because of our own connection with Christ first. When we are connected with Christ, we, we don't have to find our identity, our purpose, our significance in anything or anyone else. And because of that, then, we can then connect with others here within the building, within the church walls, at a much deeper level than just talking about, you know, sports, football, or the weather. And knowing that gives us the, the grace to be patient and gentle and forgiving with those that are here. And we see that in the example of Jesus, don't we? Jesus spent about three years on this earth uh, working with a group of 12 guys called the disciples. And, And these disciples, they would periodically just blow it. They would let their temper rise. They, you know, try, they had a complete misunderstanding of who the Messiah was from time to time. And, and repeatedly, Jesus would just kind of shepherd them along, and, and he stuck with them and moved them towards maturity. So sharing our lives at that level means that, that we have to move from just an impersonal proclamation of the gospel to personal relationships. So we we move from just an exercise of information or teaching to friendships. So in other words, we're not just preaching the gospel at people, but we're building relationships with them to to show what a gospel-centered life looks like. And that brings it down to the level of relational discipleship making. Now, I understand, and I get it, that, that it's hard to uh, share our lives with other people from time to time, especially if you've been burned by a past relationship. Maybe you've, you've, you've been hurt, so you've put up walls and barriers, and you don't want to let anybody in. Maybe you've put your heart out there and it's been stepped on, so you step away. Maybe you have some scars from previous relationships that run really deep, so you run away at any opportunity. 
or maybe you're in a current relationship that's kind of beginning to fray at the edges and it's beginning to burn out at the edges. I, I get that. Relationships are hard. They're messy. And even good marriages, even good relationships go through difficult seasons. Or sometimes we're just a little too stoic. We're just unwilling to show any vulnerability, period, just because it was never, never modeled for us in our family or with our parents. So we're too reserved, we're too detached, and, and we're never transparent on what's really going on. But it's okay to, to admit that we all have flaws and struggles. You know, we all do. So let's stop pretending like everything's okay, that, you know, we're fine. You know, hang around me longer than 30 seconds and you'll know that I'm a flawed human being saved by God's grace. So let me challenge you with this this morning. To model it instead of wait for it. By that I mean be the one that models transparency, model vulnerability. Because modeling opens the doors for those kind of relations that let other people know that it, it's a safe place to build a relationship. Model what a Christ-centered relationship looks like instead of waiting for it to always come to you. So if you do feel disconnected or distant, then be the one willing to open up and share your life with them. Be the one that picks up the phone and reaches out. Send the text message. Make the call. Take the initiative. Invite somebody here at church uh, out for coffee Invite them over to lunch, you know. Invite me to lunch. I got to eat. You know, I'd be glad to go with you. Take the initiative. You know, let, late, later this year, we're, we're going to really emphasize life groups and a disciple-making effort called Rooted. And, and that's going to really be a, a connecting point for our church family. And those will be vehicles to really model and experience biblical community and a place for us to be open and vulnerable and transparent as we all grow closer to Jesus. And I'm excited and passionate about what can happen in those smaller group settings because they're really going to model sharing the gospel and sharing our lives, what Paul is talking about. So connecting with those within our church family means that we have a clear understanding of our priorities. But it also means that we have to be clear about our commitment to those who are here. Now the, the family language that Paul uses here really uh, communicates that level of commitment. I mean, he, he uses the, the illustration of, of a nursing mother because he says in verse 7, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. You think about that illustration for a moment. A nursing mother is not just merely a job to perform. It's not just providing food. There's a natural affection and love uh, between a mom and her children. And the life is bound up in theirs. There's a connection that goes deep. But then he goes on to say, you know, you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. So he gives us the illustration of a nursing mother and then a spiritual father caring for others. And as a spiritual father, he says, let's set a good example for our spiritual children, one that they can follow and emulate. I mean, sometimes parenting 
is rough, right? It feels like you go from one mess to the next, and, and, and you're always one step behind. You know, it starts with the mess of diapers in the infant stage, and then there's that toddler stage where you always seem to be picking up toys and stepping on Legos in the middle of the night and how painful that is. And then they get older in high school, and, and you're picking up bigger messes, and Dory is still cleaning up the messes that I make in life. It just goes on and on. But relationships, when you build those relationships within our church wall, you have to be willing to realize that, you know, we all have messes from time to time. And to, and to clean that up, we have to get our hands dirty. And by that, I mean we have to be willing to get involved in people's lives, to, t to take the phone calls, to reach out, to step into the mess and work through them together as you pursue Jesus as a family. So that commitment that I'm talking about is seen not only in the, the family language, but he also, we also see it in, the, in the, his choice of the words towards the end of this text. Because he says, you know, as a father deals with his own children, we are encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God. I mean, when Paul wrote this letter, he could have just said encouraging and, and stopped it there. Let me encourage you to follow Jesus. And we'd have been like, yeah, okay, I get it. But there's this building intensity with each word. He says encourage, you know, as we understand that, say, yeah, let's just keep going, you know, let's keep moving ahead. But then he says comforting. And the idea of comforting there is, is to console someone when there is hardship going on. Paul recognizes that, yeah, there will be difficult times, so let's come alongside one another and console each other. But then he even takes it a step further. He uses the word that has the strongest, most intensity, and he says urging. And that word means sometimes you just need to insist that people follow a certain path. You know, that, that might look call, like calling somebody out when they're veering away from Jesus calling somebody out for sinful behavior, holding them accountable, and calling them back to follow in Jesus. Now, re remember, Paul started this church, and then riots broke out, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 17. And as those riots broke out, he was forced to leave the people that he loved. And his heart was still back there. So he's, he's yearning for them to, to hear how they're doing. And, and now he's writing this letter back to them as a spiritual father. And he's pouring out his heart and he's saying, man, let me encourage you. Let, let me urge you to follow Jesus. And he wants to model that Christian life for these new believers. And he does so in this framework of family language, of nursing mothers and fatherly care. So he's clear on his commitment to those within the church. And that's a good reminder for us to be clear on our commitment that are for those that are here. But lastly, we, we need to be clear on our, our goal, ultimately what we're striving for. So why all this concern about connecting? The very last phrases of verse 12 says, to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I mean, ultimately, our goal is not just to have, you know, uh, fun fellowshipping together, but is to live our lives worthy of God. That's really what it's all about. 
not building a big church, not having awesome programs, not patting our, ourselves on the back and saying, look at how good we're doing this or that. It comes down to how are you living your life with Jesus? Are you living your life worthy of the gospel, worthy of, of God himself? And then he says, living our lives in his kingdom and for his glory. Now, the kingdom, as we read about the kingdom of heaven in Scripture, it's not a geographical, physical place. The kingdom is where God reigns and rules. So when we're called to live in, in, in his kingdom, he's saying live under the lordship and reign of Jesus in your life. In other words, we're saying, Jesus, you call the shots. You're the one in charge. I'm a servant of you. And live in our lives for his glory. So journey, are you living there? Strive for that. Pursue that. Pray for that in your life. You know, th this week I received a phone call out of the blue uh, from a family friend named Grant. Now, Grant was a really young boy back in our very first ministry that Dory and I had. We're, we were doing cross-cultural mission work in rural Indiana. <laughs> And it was dur during my, my seminary days, and Grant and, and his family, his parents, Gail and Debbie, man, they were a bright spot in the middle of a difficult ministry. And Grant was called up out of the blue, and I, and I saw his name pop up in my caller ID, and my first thought was like, oh no, who died? But I, I answered, and he just wanted to chat and catch up. So we talked about um, his farm, what he's doing there. He's telling me about what's new in the small little town that, that we ministered in and what's happening at the church he's a part of. But you know the part that really blew me away is we left that ministry 25 years ago. And he still wants to stay in touch. I mean, we, we connected with that family at more than just the, the preacher level more than just preaching the gospel level. We shared our lives, and Gail and Debbie and Grant and, and uh, his sister, and they welcomed us into their family. And it, like I said, it was a bright spot. And Dory and I, we had no idea the kind of impact that we made with them. I mean, we were, we were newlyweds. We had just graduated Bible college. We're in our first ministry, totally clueless about how to do ministry, just trying to survive. We had our firstborn, Josh, while we lived there. And this family just said, hey, let, let's do this together. And a few years ago, I had the privilege to officiate the wedding of, the, of their daughter. And that's, that's exciting stuff when you share the gospel, when you share lives together. I want to ask the praise team to come back up this morning. And Journey, that's the kind of connection that the gospel can bring. Because you have no idea the kind of impact that you can make in another person's life. So let me encourage you today as we close. Connect, first of all, with Jesus. And then let's work at being intentional about connecting with those that are here. And 25 years from now, you might be getting a call from somebody at Journey just to stay in touch. So connecting with Jesus, if you're not sure what that looks like, get a hold of me this week and let's have a conversation and we can walk through that together. If you want to connect with Journey, and we have a Discover class 
a new member class following the second service. Let me encourage you to stick around. Uh, we'll provide lunch, and you can learn about what it looks like to connect to the Journey Christian Church family. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I want to thank you just for the example that Paul gives in 1 Thessalonians 2 and how he reminds us that, that we are a church family and that we need to connect with one another, with those that are here. And we do so as we share the gospel, as we share our lives with one another. And ultimately, Lord, we do it so that we can live um, under your reign, in your kingdom, and for your glory. So, Father, empower us to do that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.